Hello and welcome to this edition of the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson. Thanks for joining us once again. And I am really, really pumped, really excited about this podcast because, well, I'm trying not to be a fanboy. I'm trying not to be that guy. But when we have a guest of this caliber, I just can't help but getting uh, just really excited. And so our guest today is Dr. Michael Horton, who is a professor over at Westminster Seminary over there in uh, California, but also the host of the White Horse Inn, the editor-in-chief of of Modern Reformation magazine. This guy does it all. He is the professor of systematic theology, of systematic theology or whatever. He's written uh, tons of books, including his own systematic theology, uh, and I am just thrilled to have him on the podcast. I never thought I'd be able to get him, but he was really generous. In fact, uh, this has been months and months in preparation. We've had to reschedule around his uh, busy schedule several times, but we finally were able to sit down and chat, and I just was like, wow. Uh, So anyway, we're going to be talking about his latest book, uh, Rediscovering the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and the doctrine of pneumatology, which is simply the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, you know, I've been gushing too much already. Let's just jump right to our interview with Dr. Michael Horton. I'm here with Dr. Michael Horton, who teaches out there at Westminster Seminary in California, also the host of the White Horse Inn, the editor of Modern Reformation Magazine. Uh, Dr. Horton, thank you so much for taking the time for us today. Thank you, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, i got to tell you a, a little story. Back in college, way back when it seems like the Dark Ages now, uh, a friend of mine had handed me a cassette tape, which is, you know, dating this uh, incredibly way back. And <laughs> I, I remember putting it in my, in my uh, tape player, and I was listening to, for the very first time, The White Horse Inn. I believe it was Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude. And that kind of helped me introduce a little bit to, to Reformed Theology and, and your ministry as well. So uh, thank you for all that you've done with, with that ministry and, and uh, so much more. Thank you, Kevin. That's a, that's, that's a fun story. <laughs> well, we are talking about the topic of pneumatology, and that really sounds like a big word. And so at our podcast, we like to break things down and, and explain them. So uh, Dr. Horton, uh, tell us a little bit of what is pneumatology? Sure. Yeah, it's one of those... Uh fancy words for something really simple, uh, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And so the uh, we talk about Christology, the doctrine of Christ. Pneumatology is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Now, I have to admit something. I'm going to be a little humble and a little transparent here. I just realized on the show notes that I had sent you, I don't know if you've read those or not, but, and it's embarrassing because I'm talking to, you know, the professor of systematic theology, and I, and I refer to the Holy Spirit as the second person of the Godhead. So i got to confess that mm-hmm. heresy right now. Uh, we refer to the Holy Spirit as the third person of, of the Godhead. So what do we mean by that statement? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, the, the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, we believe in the consubstantiality, that is the mm. equality in essence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit— and uh, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but there aren't three gods. There's one God in three persons, and all things come from the Father, in the Son, through the Spirit. 
So the Holy Spirit is the one who who completes all all works, and the whole, the the Son is the mediator of the works that come from the Father. So we're we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And we're talking specifically. Uh, you've written the book Rediscovering the Holy Spirit, which, at least as far as I know, at the time of this recording, that's that's your latest published book. Tell us a bit about why you wrote that book, and give us kind of a a taste of what we can what we read in that. Sure. I, you know, I, I have always been interested in the work of the Holy Spirit, but uh, even more so the last few years. And a lot of times I will write a book because it's suggested to me hmm. that it's, it's a, you know, a book that is sort of needed right now. On other occasions, I just, I want to, I want to write a book because I want to understand a subject more and this was of the latter type. Uh, I really wanted to understand the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works in our lives today, who the Holy Spirit is across the, the pages of Scripture, throughout redemptive history. You know, I, always, I, I feel like sometimes we are binatarians, not trinitarians. Mm, that is, yeah. we believe in the Father and the Son, but we're not quite sure where the Holy Spirit fits. He's sort of the third wheel in that relationship. And um, it's, it's been such a privilege to get to know the Holy Spirit better through uh, researching God's Word and, and writing uh, about it. And, and to realize that a lot of our Reformed forebears uh, wrote very uh, moving mm. uh, uh, works on the Holy Spirit. We just haven't seen a lot in... Uh, you know, say the last uh, 50, 70 years. Right. And it seems like the material that is out there tends toward the spectacular, tends toward more of a charismatic bent to it. Well, that's the thing. You know, it, it's almost as if, <laughs> I know this isn't true, but almost as if we've, we've had, had a truce with our Pentecostal mm. brothers and sisters and said, okay, we, we'll take the Father and the Son, you take the Holy Spirit. And, of course, nobody has said that, but it, it's it, one of the reasons that I did write this book was because of that. I think that, on one hand, Pentecostals marginalize a lot of what is really central in the Holy Spirit's person and work by focusing only on the spectacular and the extraordinary, hmm. while many contemporary Reformed people as well as uh, conservative evangelicals and, and other Protestants uh, that, are, that are conservative, tend to, to overreact by simply saying, well, you know, the Holy Spirit is associated with all the extras in the Christian life. Mm. And so if you, you know, want, want to focus on the Holy Spirit, that's, you know, that's interesting, but that's not what, what is really important. And I just think that we've, uh, by... By making the Holy Spirit the spooky member of the Trinity, you know, the Holy Ghost, yeah. we have, have really failed to grasp the uh, extensiveness of the Holy Spirit's work in, in creation, in providence, in redemption, in uh, last things. Uh, the Holy Spirit is identified with the power of God that is poured out especially in these last days. Yeah, even really from Genesis 1, we do see the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and, it, and it's, it's one of those underlying currents throughout the, 
the unfolding drama of redemption. Could you it's the me? second verse, yeah. yeah. It's the second verse of the Bible. <laughs> so tell us a little bit, where, where do we, what are we missing here? Tell us a little bit about what is the ministry of the Spirit? I know that's a vague question, uh, but what, what are the facets of the ministry of the Spirit that we, that we fail to capitalize on when we fail to emphasize or think about? Well, I, you know, I think that uh, you know, when we say he appears already in the second verse of the Bible, that uh, we, we don't often think of the Holy Spirit in relation to creation. Mm. And, and yet there he is, uh, with wings spread over the, uh, over, over the waters to make them fertile and uh, fruitful. The Holy Spirit really is the one who, with, with uh, wings of life, uh, hovers over that which is dead and barren, and it becomes a blooming uh, field of God's action. And the same, uh, the, the same verbs that are used, in fact, for the Spirit hovering uh, over the waters or the Spirit overshadowing the temple, mm-hmm. um, the tabernacle in the wilderness, it is used in the uh, Greek translation uh, of, of the Bible called the Septuagint, the same Greek construction is used uh, in the New Testament when we read in Luke that the Holy Spirit, Gabriel tells Mary that the Holy Spirit will overshadow her so that what is born of her will be uh, the Son of God. And so there, there you have, again, the Holy Spirit spreading his wings, fluttering over a dead and barren womb, a womb that has not yet, you know, has no capacity. Well, it has a capacity, but has no possibility of producing life because she's never been with a man, and yet she will become pregnant. The, this is the Holy Spirit is the one. That's why we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Why the Apostle Paul in Galatians speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. The the Spirit is the one who turns a house into a home, a desert into a garden, a, a barren, you know, turns barren wombs into um, the, fertile, the, the fertile sources of life for uh, the Messiah to come. So that it's just really amazing all that the Holy Spirit does. He, he, in our lives, too, he, he bears fruit. He conforms us to the image of Christ. We learned that he even, it was by the Holy Spirit that Jesus performed his miracles. Mm. Uh, to, to attribute those miracles to Satan is not blasphemy against Christ's deity, but Jesus said blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is, is the person of the Godhead who makes everything fruitful, brings about the effect of the word that is spoken by the Father in the Son. So he, he, without the Holy Spirit, none of the works of God are completed. Right. I want to look at a couple of scriptures here. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 21 speaks of the Holy Spirit inspiring or moving upon the authors of scripture to write that. Talk to us a little bit about the Holy Spirit in relation to the word of God. Absolutely, yeah. He, um, the passage you're, you're quoting, Peter says that People did not, prophets and the apostles didn't just write down whatever they felt like. They were, uh, they wrote what whatever the Holy Spirit had inspired them to say. 
And, uh, you know, it, there are a lot of times I think people talk about being inspired and being prophetic, and it is kind of reduced to a natural sort of experience where some people are just a little bit more more spiritually inclined than, hmm. than others. No, these are normal people called away from their everyday jobs to, to give a word, to, uh, uh, to, to take a word that God gives them and deliver it. And that was given to them by the Holy Spirit through inspiration. So, you know, we, 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 we love the church and its tradition, we learn from the church and its tradition, but the church is not itself a sufficient witness to the Word of God mm. that we can certify Scripture as the Word of God on the testimony of the church. Right. We need a high, higher testimony. We need God himself, God the Holy Spirit, to certify that Scripture is, in fact, uh, the Word of God. So... It, no less a person than God himself inspired the scriptures, no less a person than the Holy Spirit illumines us to understand the scriptures, no one less than the Holy Spirit unites us to Christ, sanctifies us, seals us, and then glorifies us on the last day. What I love about that passage is, is right before that, Peter is describing uh, what basically is his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, and then he when he, when he kind of transitions to talking about the Word of God. He says, this is a, a prophetic word that is more fully con, con, uh, confirmed. In other words, I, I can trust the Word of God more than I can trust even that amazing experience. And I, I see that today where a lot of people want to, they, they claim to be receiving some sort of word from the Spirit that is apart from the Word of God. And we see we, we can't separate the, the work of the Spirit from the written, preserved, inspired Word of God. No, exactly. In fact, in the Upper Room Discourse, uh, John 14 through 16, Jesus explains how when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead them, that is, the apostles, into all truth and, and cause them to remember everything that he had spoken. Hmm. So... Uh, this is this. You know, sometimes we read those passages and we apply them to us, but they're not about us. They're right. about the apostles. And this was the basis for is the basis for our confidence that the the writings of the apostles are on a par with the writings of the prophets as canon, as holy scripture, as our constitution. Mm-hmm. And and how do we know that? Well, because the Holy Spirit. Uh, is the one who inspired these words, just as he inspired hmm. uh, the the word of the prophet. So, yeah, absolutely, you cannot separate the spirit from the word. All right, and then Romans eight uh, twenty six twenty seven, getting real practical here. This is you know, it's been said that if you ever want to make a Christian feel guilty, talk about their prayer life. And yeah. <laughs> here we have the Holy Spirit. We're told makes intercession for us, uttering things that we can't say to the Father. Talk to us a little bit about the, the, the Holy Spirit's ministry of intercession. Yeah, this is huge. Uh, a lot of times, it's it, it really interesting, ever since Origen in the 3rd century, a church father, the, the interpretation uh, in John 16 of the Holy Spirit as 
another uh, uh, paraclete is translated comforter. So Jesus, uh, according to that translation, says that he is going to send a comforter. So the assumption is that Jesus is advocate. He is our advocate, and the Holy Spirit is our comforter. Well, actually, Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says he's going to send Allos Parakletos, another Hmm. paraclete. So paraclete means attorney, and Jesus is the attorney in heaven that we need, interceding for us at the Father's right hand, and the Holy Spirit is another attorney, ministering in our hearts, carrying on that, that conviction of sin and guilt, so that as Christ is witnessing for me in heaven, the Holy Spirit is bringing me to repentance and faith to accept the verdict that the Father has rendered and to embrace Christ as my righteousness. So I have, a, I have an attorney outside of me in the courts of heaven. I have an attorney within me who is both convincing me of my guilt leading me to Christ, and then sealing me, giving me assurance of, of everlasting life. It's amazing. So the, the Son and the, and the Holy Spirit do not differ in the works that they do. Rather, they differ in the ways that they do them. We not only have a mediator in heaven, we have a mediator within us. Well, and finally, I want to talk about, you know, we, we try to talk about different controversial topics or things that we have the potential to go off the deep end with. And that, I think, comes with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about things like the baptism of the Holy Spirit or even sometimes speaking in tongues, all of that. Could you explain how do we—we we, we talked about, uh, you know, the the unspoken deal we've had with, the, with our charismatic friends— uh, about you guys talk about the spirit, we'll talk about this. You guys can deal with the supernatural and the miraculous and all of that. But how do we deal with with issues like that? Because we can't ignore the fact that the Holy Spirit has brought about miracles. Um, there are passages talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How do we address these from a biblical perspective and yet not get lost in to extremism? Yeah, it's a great point. I, I, I spend quite a bit of time, I believe three chapters on this subject, because I think you you do have to do it carefully. You have to look at each passage. Here's the big picture. The the main point is that the foundation-laying episode of the Church's history was the apostolic era. Hmm. Uh, And even then, with the apostles alive, you have Paul saying, for example, do not go beyond what is written, uh, lest you be puffed up. You know, everybody is is basically saying, I have a word from the Lord, I have a word from the Lord. Paul says, stop doing that now. Just just stick to what is written, and don't go beyond it. So the scriptures were already becoming a norm. Paul refers to Luke's gospel as scripture. Peter refers to Paul's writings as scripture. So they're already, the apostles themselves, are thinking of each other's writings as scripture. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 that no other foundation can be laid than the one that has been laid, the apostolic foundation with Christ as the cornerstone. Same thing in Ephesians 4. So 
the uh, sorry Ephesians two. So the the important thing here to say is that whatever our views on signs and wonders and on continuing spiritual gifts, the greatest miracle the Holy Spirit it has ever done, and is it, he is still doing, that is regenerating the hearts of those who are dead in trespasses and sins and right. uniting them to Christ. That is that is still the focus of the Holy Spirit's ministry, always has been. The signs and wonders are not the focus of the Spirit's ministry, and the signs and wonders were part of the foundation-laying episode, uh, the fireworks, as you will, certifying and celebrating this fresh stage of revelation with the old covenant becoming obsolete and the new covenant now coming into existence like the lava of, from a volcano and it, it it sets and you don't just keep having a volcano spewing out revelation uh it it ended um because we do not need any further revelation this is our canon it's our constitution so now you know, the church is, is like uh, the courts, interpreting what is scriptural, not determining what scripture is itself. Right. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we keep, we keep doing this again and again, imagining that we are contributing to or are part of fresh lava flows of revelation. Uh, when we already have a clear constitution and the Holy Spirit is still alive and at work in us, leading us into all truth by that written revelation. Now we'll have differences of opinion on the other, the other points. Uh, for example, tongues, I argue, I hope convincingly there tongues were actually known languages. People actually knew the languages. That's why at Pentecost they said, how is it possible that each of us understands the gospel in our own language? So it, it wasn't just gibberish. It right. was it was a language that they themselves didn't understand, but they had been given the miraculous ability to understand. So and to speak. Uh, so a lot of a lot of really amazing things were done in that apostolic era to get the gospel first of all on paper and then to get it out to a world that needed desperately to hear it. Mm. And God uh, put the rocket boosters, as it were, uh, on the church during that period so that the gospel would get out there very quickly into orbit. Now it's in orbit, and now you know we keep proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. It hasn't changed. It hasn't been augmented. The Apostle Paul drew on the fact that he saw Jesus face-to-face, -face personally, but then he tells Timothy, um, when Timothy's getting kind of shaky in the knees about his calling, uh, hey, just remember the gift that was given to you when the presbytery laid hands on you. Hmm. So he doesn't say, hey, remember that Damascus Road experience you had? Right. He says, remember, you know, when the church laid its hands on you, that gift was given to you. So now, instead of working immediately and directly, the Holy Spirit works immediately and indirectly through the Church. And uh, it's a wonderful thing. 
that the Holy Spirit is able to do this, even even in spite of our sin and error and fallibility. Hmm. Well, thank you, Dr. Horton, uh, for, for getting into that. We want to recommend your book, uh, Rediscovering the Holy Spirit, and that'll be a, there'll be a link to that on our website if you want to dig deeper into this uh, topic. And I also want to recommend a couple other books, and uh, I'm trying my hardest to behave myself right now and, and not be the typical fanboy when I'm talking to someone uh, of, of your stature, Dr. Horton. Uh, but a lot of your books have been a blessing to me. I think would be a blessing to others. Uh, for example, in, in the theology class I teach here at school, Pilgrim Theology, Core Doctrines for Christian Disciples, I use a lot in, in a supplementary manner, uh, and that's a great book. And also, one of the, I think the first book I read of yours, which I don't think is in print, but ought to be, is Made in America. Basically mm, how, yeah. uh, I think we need that even more today in, in the evangelical world. Uh, Putting Amazing Back into Grace it was, is a classic. Priceless Christianity. Ordinary was a book that really encouraged my soul uh, being a very ordinary person. I don't have to be the next Billy Graham. Of course, I wouldn't, theologically, I wouldn't want to be Billy Graham anyway, but I know where I'm going with that. <laughs> uh, but tell us a little bit about core Christianity, because you wrote that book, but also expanded that into a website, a curriculum. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, sure. We, um, we we had and thank you by the way uh, for those kind comments. We a number of us at White Horse Inn were concerned that we were speaking to a group of people with White Horse Inn that uh, you know for thirty years has uh, come to us for these conversations, and that's good, and we don't want to stop that at all. But we also thought, uh, you know, we really need to reach. A lot of people who tell us, hey, I love the White Horse Inn, but I could never recommend that to my aunt or to my nephew or my sibling because they're at ground zero. And so as we thought about it, we said, you know, there really isn't a an attempt to kind of, as it were, evangelize the the people who are kind of on the line who may not even be Christians, but who may, you know, sort of ask a lot of really important questions. And so that's why we started Core Christianity. I, I wrote the book as a sort of primer for it. Then we have a study guide that goes with it. A lot of churches are using that. And then we also started, as you mentioned, a website. And the website was made primarily for the new daily radio program we're going to have, Lord willing. Oh. We're launching it, planning on launching it in uh, September, and across the country, ra- uh, major radio stations. And we thought that the the call-in program was going to be necessary to feed people into the uh, website so they could have their questions answered more fully. But what was amazing was that the website was already so popular that we had... Uh, you know, some, something like 100,000 visitors every month hmm. from from 100 countries. And so we're really excited that uh, hopefully, Lord willing, these uh, Bible studies that we're doing, the Core Christianity website, Core Radio, and uh, Core uh, Christianity, the book, uh, will all sort of work together to reach a new generation of people who've never even really thought about the importance of 
knowing what they believe and why they believe it. Well, I'll be looking forward to listening to CORE Radio, and I gratefully enjoy the, the White Horse Inn each Sunday, even though technically you're, you're kind of competition for us, but I think we can kind of coexist for a little while. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, Dr. Good. Wooden, thank you so much for taking the time and, and for talking to us. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Kevin. Thanks a lot, and take care. Thank all of you for listening. This kind of wraps up our program, but don't forget to check out our website at www.basicbiblecast. We'll have all those resources we just mentioned, links to Core Christianity and some of the other uh, books that we mentioned. So check that out on our resources page on the website. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter at Basic Biblecast, also on Instagram at Basic Biblecast. Check us out on Facebook. We've got a group. Join the conversation there. We're going to start doing some fun things with that. And then don't forget that uh, starting in September, we're going, to, we're going to begin a new series on the attributes of God. And it's going to be based out of A.W. Pink's book, The Attributes of God. So go ahead and get a copy of that. In fact, you can even get it for free online if you want to do that. You won't be disappointed in the book you won't be disappointed of course in the attributes of god it's going to strengthen your faith i promise so check that out uh and uh keep tuning in until then so until next time have a great rest of your week